Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Gents, can we just have some reasonable behavior and can we please just start the podcast? You have no authority here, Phil Logan. No authority! Read the standing orders, Phil! Read them and understand them! Hello Egg Chasers, it's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. Uh, We're here, well, two of us are here in the Rugby Dungeon, I'm Tim, that's JB. Hello Tim. In dressing gown and New York Jets pyjama trousers tonight. You want want a story about these pyjama trousers? Uh, Yeah, yeah, go on. I picked them up in New York on the flight back to Manchester after the the Philly game. Yeah, I think it's Philly, yeah. Uh, Saracens, Newcastle and Philly. Yeah, and this is my travelling home garb. Literally what you see today. Wow. See, I'm a New York Jets fan, so I'm coveting those quite a lot. Well, and for my sins as well. Uh, and uh, down the line is Phil. Hello. Hello, Tim Cocker. Hello, uh, JB. S- still currently without baby number two, but with a semi-Randrandra-esque beard. <laughs> More like Gary Graham. <laughs> it's not as uh, thick and luscious as either of those two. But it, it is getting longer and a bit of a mess. Yeah. Are you waiting for baby to arrive before? Is that is it? I, I, I've just kind of, I've not had my haircut since September. Um, I've not seen anyone in real life uh, since kind of the middle of December mm-hmm. because of lockdown and and uh, imminent so, baby. So why not? So I've just kind of, I've well, just kind of given up on actually, life. Phil's lying. He has seen someone. <laughs> Yeah, he has seen someone. And maybe his appearance might actually put two and two together for me. And it might make me understand exactly what happened in this scenario. Phil, the other day, was power washing his drive. (laughs) And his next door neighbour came up to him and asked him for a quote to power wash his drive. (laughs) (laughs) He he did. This was... This was all. It's a new neighbour. So it's only the second time I've met him, but it was about a week after the first time I've met him, and I had to kind of remind him that no, no, I live here. I own this house. <laughs> he thought I was, I was like a homeless man that uh, I'd, had been employed to, to do some manual labour. Well, uh, homeless people do not own Kircher K9s, Phil. Uh, K K7 Premium. K7 Premium. Bloody wow, hell, Phil. That's Someone's ins- doing all right. Woo. 
Well, with your with your hair as long as it is on the top of your head, you would look like young Homer Simpson if you shaved off the beard, so I'd keep it. Um, right, this is uh, the first of two podcasts that's coming in your feed this week, uh, which is why you need to be subscribed, whether it's on Acast, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, or on any, any other podcast catcher. Make sure you subscribe, uh, and you will get our midweek domestic podcast. But, of course, this one, the big weekend, the opening weekend of the Six Nations, is where we're going to begin, and we've got so much to talk about there. Before we get into it, a reminder... That if you enjoy the podcasts, if you enjoy the fact that we make sure 52 weeks of the year, seven years and counting. It's nine years. No, no, no. This is year number eight. This is season eight. So we've done seven. Is this season eight or is this this season nine? Even though it says in the feed season seven. I think it's season eight. Phil pointed out we made an error in season four and did that year twice. So we've done seven seasons. This is season number eight. So for seven years Mm. and counting... We make sure you have a podcast. The only people that do it 52 weeks of the year, the only people that make sure it's there every Monday morning. And uh, if you appreciate that fact and you want to support us so that when things ease up a bit, we can do some live podcasts, uh, then we would. Uh, we, we thank you very much for the support you've already given. Well, we thank you for listening, but uh, for the people that also have um, shown their support at patreon.com slash eggchasers, thank you very, very much. There's some uh, little goodies on there as well if you go to that, patreon.com slash eggchasers. Uh, right, Six Nations then. Uh, I was about to say let the post-mortem begin, but I'd actually rather start by just congratulating Scotland on an outstanding and historic performance. It was incredible, wasn't it? Uh, didn't go quite how I planned. I mean, I knew... Oh, I didn't know. I thought they were going to win. I was pretty convinced about it. I thought they would win in a 30-20 to 20 shootout. That's how I thought it was going to go down. I had no idea that they'd win in such a pragmatic way. But they did. They, they certainly did. And I think it is the right place to start is to focus on Scotland's positives because they were they were the better team in pretty much every single aspect of that game for pretty much every single minute of that game. Yeah. They, they, were, they were by far the best team from minute one through to minute 80, right across the board. Their, their line-out was better, they disrupted England, their scrum was better, they won penalties, their um, it, kicking game was better, they won the, the territorial game multiple times, their close combat work in the rooks and malls was better, their running game was better. There, there is pretty much no facet of that game where England were on top for any significant period of time. No, I completely well, agree. Well, in, in, well, Scotland were only marginally better than England at converting any opportunities into tries because Scotland should have have won by much more. Well, so that is probably a good point that Scotland had so much territory and so much possession. uh, They, they probably should have taken more of their chances. Now I do think a little bit of that is um, down to how they played the game and they played it intelligently both when Finn Russell was in the bin and towards the end of the game, rather than taking points, they, they, um, they kicked to the corner and ran the clock down. That's which... interesting because I do yeah. not think that's intelligent. I think the running the clock down in the corner is intelligent, actually. But I thought the amount of three points that they turned down was a little bit silly. Well, the the kicks they didn't they never turned down an easy kick. They had kind of fifty fifty kicks, and in the scenarios when so Finn Russell's off and Hogg kicks to the corner, it's probably a less than 50-50 kick because your primary kicker's not on the pitch. So in those scenarios, it was interesting to see, and obviously it's the kind of thing that, um, with hindsight, you can say it's the right tactic. 
but you, you're right. Had it not quite worked out, um, the Scotland fans would have been cursing some of those decisions. Oh, so it is. You're right to to flag it. Yeah, there's two different games going on here in my mind. There is the one game which I completely agree with you. Scotland did not score enough points. The scoreboard does not reflect the dominance that Scotland displayed yes. during the game. But the other game is, you know, England still could have won this. They could have done. They they could have with with the last few minutes. And had England had um, any coherence at all, they could have put themselves in um, with a shot of of winning it in the seventy eighth, seventy ninth minute. But as it was, they didn't even get close to that. Yeah, I think what sh- I think the thing which England fans should be most concerned about, and the thing which Scotland fans should be most encouraged about, is the way Scotland went around went about their business. They kicked so intelligently and they were so pragmatic. You think of that England team and you think, yeah, they've got some really good tactical kickers there. Well, actually, you think that when they've got Ford and Farrell. When it's Farrell on his own, I thought Daly got got a bit exposed. And both Hogg and Russell had an absolute field day just putting it in the corners. So actually, I'd say Daly, I thought, did well. The problem came actually when Daly receives a kick, returns a kick, he then chases. And there was a couple of times when May and Watson, yeah. I mean, May had, May had his... Jo- I mean, yeah, I haven't seen Johnny May. Johnny May made more mistakes in this game than he has in the last two years he really since the did, World Cup. He? Like something was underneath his skin. Mm. Yeah, but it was not just the obvious ones of um, getting held up in contact or the yeah. cup. The, there was two relatively easy dropped balls it was the positioning, and there was yeah. one kick from I think it was Hogg, about halfway through the second half, where a bit of kick tennis. Elliot Daly actually puts a really good boot down on field, finds grass, and it takes a while for Hogg to to collect it, and he then puts a spiral. And it's it's Watson and May who are the two guys in the backfield who should have the whole of the backfield covered with mm. with the amount of pace that they've got. And Hogg manages to find 40 yards of room and, mm. and puts a kick pretty much from his own 22 deep into England's 22. Pace and experience. And in Watson's case, experience at 15. I think if you asked Watson where he prefers to play, he'd probably say 15, which is even more disappointing. Yes. And those two, there's, there's that defensive side and then the offensive side. They they were never brought into the game. They were never given the opportunity to come into the game for multiple reasons that I'm sure we'll explore mm. as we go on. Mm. Yeah. The Scottish line-out, I thought, was exceptional. And, and the scrum was great as well. Yeah. I mean, that's what they need to do as well. Yeah. Because if you look at the matchups, I was saying, if only they get parity, they've got every chance of winning this. Because in the backs, yeah. I thought the matchups were far in Scotland's favour. The line out though, it just worked like clockwork. And there's the old saying, isn't there? How do you make a black belt look like a brown belt? Well, you punch him in the face. Um, and with England, they didn't seem to have any answer to what looked like a very basic Scottish lineup proposition. Yeah, the England were they really struggled to disrupt Scotland, whereas Scotland there was two in the first half where England finally get a foothold in the game, get um, both on the right-hand side, actually, as England were attacking. Two lineups right on the 22. Perfect attacking ball. Both of them stolen. And yeah. you add those to um, the Johnny Hill penalty in the first couple of minutes yeah. and a couple of 
uh, horrendous Ben Young's passes in that first half. And England, England actually got into Scotland's 22 about five times, maybe even six times. But they were only there for about 10 seconds. And every time they cocked it, like they just ruined it. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, and it, I've seen England ruined it. Um, some of that was down to Scotland's pressure. Certainly the line-out steals were excellent line-out steals. So it's not, it, Scotland did very well, but England had great attacking opportunities in that first half and did nothing, nothing at all with it. I think the word you used, Phil, um, talking about England's lack of was cohesion, and I think that's exactly what Scotland had to, uh, to a man. They there was just a kind of confidence, and I think England have, have been a team that have shocked teams by a fast start, mm. and so Scotland, with a lot of less experienced guys in their side, like um, you know Redpath, who just looked to the man of born, and uh, and um, Matt Ferguson as well. Mm. I mean, just they, Scotland had a good start, but they all look, they all looked like they were all on the same page. And once again, and the and the one criticism you can say of England, and this is nothing to do with an Eddie Jones England versus a Stuart Lancaster England. It just seems to be England uh, over year over many years. Is when things don't go to plan, they just don't seem able to change it on the fly. And it's been a consistent problem for many many years. And I think is symptomatic of. Um, the kind of style of play that Premiership sides play, and I think I think it's uh, unfortunately too ingrained in English domestic rugby that, there, that there's this sort of brutality mentality and not a kind of um, problem solving mentality. I think you need a mix because there is no two ways. I don't want my pack solving problems. I, I don't care how trendy it is. Well, how else do you sort the line-out out? That, that just requires... That is a problem. That requires like, le- le- so- leaders, like scrum line-out, things like that. People go, yeah, scrum hold doesn't... on, right? Someone who has a knack for going, feeling, fe- and it is sometimes a feeling and a natural and an instinctive thing, someone feeling there's something going on with the line-out and, and kind of having a sense of what it is and how to solve it. Yeah, that's different, I think. I thought you were referring to. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm. Well, that's but, kind of yeah, what I'm talking about. The the lineup definitely needs a little bit of else. The scrum, not so much. Just push really hard. Everyone push really, really hard. Yeah, there's the individual <laughs> battles, but we all know what's really going on there. Uh, on the problem solving side, I do understand your point. But I would point out a lot of these Scottish guys are Premiership players: Redpath, Harris, Maitland, Hogg. They all play English Premiership. So rather than it being the Premiership problem, maybe it is an English cultural problem within the national team. Maybe, yeah. It's There There are certainly a few um, Premiership players and, and players who were kind of uh, cut their teeth um, in the Premiership in that Scotland team. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the issue is, but I, I do agree that it, there is a... a a definite issue there. And Eddie Jones has even spoken about it in the past and spoken about trying to um, like mix things up and stir things up with the players, mm. just even in in games, but also in training so that they get more used to solving problems. But this was, this was one game where it was, it was seemed evident that they were unable to solve the problems hmm. that, that so, came to them. Is there a chance we've actually been told what the problem is and we're ignoring it willfully? So we were told, weren't we, during the autumn, that England were only working on defence. Now, I don't believe that. I think that is nonsense and somebody playing mind games. But you look at that performance and you think, maybe they were just working on defence. Because Scotland are 
a ferociously good attacking team. You just look at the names on their team sheet and they did only score one try. Now, granted, another day it could have been four tries, but it was, you know, the facts on the ground are it was one try. And you think, well, maybe, maybe that's what they did do. Uh, the Scottish didn't get over with the driving more, so there's that brutality side. But they have no attack. Now, I don't often believe Eddie Jones when he says these things, but when he does say it and they play like that, maybe there is something to it. Well, I so I think that he said that in the autumn, and I actually, looking at the performances in the autumn, do believe him. Now, he has said that they have tried to um, open up the attack in the, the two-week camp that they had before this, going into this game. Now, But I think, that, I think that point hints at the problem. And I think this this performance to me, I've, I've, I watched it back again today. Um, well and, done, mate. I, I thought about uh, that, but thinking of the pod, it, but no, I couldn't take it. And I, I, watched it, I watched it back, actually, to try and... Because when I watched it, on Saturday night, I watched it. Um, I was kind of half making tea for my lad, but also half trying to enjoy a beer and watch watch the game. And, and you can kind of ne- do neither properly. But I, I got the impression that um, the ref had a bit of a stinker. He, and I, I watched oh, it back today. Well, I watched it back today, and I think there were two or three bad decisions against mm-hmm. England. Besides that, I think pretty much... So um, I think 80% of the decisions were, were correct. Mm. But I'll, I'll go into that in a little bit more because I think there is something to explore on the defence. But the the key point for me around England is I think this is still a hangover from the World Cup final. And let, let me let me just explain that. And I, I've I've kind of fleshed out my thinking from the autumn a little bit better as well. So England got beaten up in the final, like well and truly beaten up by South Africa mm. right across the board, uh, in the backs and in the pack, but mainly in the pack. Yeah. Now, if you look at that as a binary problem, just purely the physical aspect of the problem, there are two solutions to it. The the solution that Eddie Jones appears to have chosen, which is we are going to be so physical, so confrontational that no one is ever going to beat us up again. And that's what he tried to do in autumn, did it semi-successfully in autumn, and it's what he's tried to instill in his team. Now, the other side of of solving that problem is well, you are always going to get beaten up at some point. You cannot beat every single other team in the world up because they are also trying to beat you up at the same time. So mm. perhaps perhaps the smart rugby is you've got to back yourself to, to at least get parity up from, but you've got to have other options and other, um, other um, weapons in your armory that allow you to win games when you're not necessarily... P- performing up front, and there's wasp, and there's no wasp one last wasps. Yeah, totally. And there is wasp, no. There is, oh, sorry, for and, go on. And sale on Friday night, which we'll mention on the um, domestic midweek domestic podcast. But like, there are other ways to do it, and and there's England no coach seems, with more. Pe- there's no coach with more pedigree at having demonstrated doing that. By the way, than the former Japan coach Eddie Jones. That's you, a good yeah, point, actually. It, that's that's a great point, Tim. But they, they've they seem to have thrown all their eggs in one basket that is like it's a massive risk and all it takes is someone like well Scotland they fronted up beautifully up front they disrupted everything England had to offer in the pack and then England had no no answer they didn't they couldn't think their way out of the problem and they hadn't been given the skills in their armory to to kind of fight their way out of the problem and this was the the consequence hmm. going back to the binary thing uh, yeah 
anyone who treats a block of training as just defense and a block of games as just defense and then just attack you do run into the same kind of issues because i don't think you can look at just attack or just defense what about the other phases of the game so eddie jones allegedly says there's six phases of the game what they are i cannot remember off the top of my head it's like uh, attack defense set piece restart. i don't know what exactly how he looks at it but i would say one of the one of the phases of the game is winning possession back and then attacking the, the turnover and i'm sure england do do all these things but i can't get over the fact that you want to do one thing and then come back to the next thing later. I think you have to do it all you know, holistically. I've got no problem with a lot of what England did um, in terms of what they were doing at certain times. A lot of the time when they kicked, I would go, yeah, actually, probably the right thing to do there is kick because you, the poor conditions, you're up against a really good Scottish defence and you're in your own half and their back row are, are dangerous so you don't want to give them opportunities to kick three points so generally speaking i'm like going yeah okay a kick's probably kicks the right one. thing to do so but there's, there's two things there's one the execution of those kicks was awful the reaction of players to the kicks and the chase you saw how much better scotland's and people like sean maitland were mm. than the england back three or england players in general and um thirdly it's identifying the few occasions when that isn't the right thing to do for example and there's a still that's a lot of people have shared on uh, on social media and stuff of in when Finn Russell was in the bin on about 43 minutes just the start of the second half and England were just like on their own 10 meter line and kicked it when they had probably a 7 to 2 overlap yeah i yeah um, let's get into the personnel decisions because that comes down to personnel isn't it Owen Farrell in particular where do we stand on the form of the England team as individuals for their clubs? Uh, well, five five of them, other than Billy Vodopola playing one game, five of the starting 15 haven't played since um, whenever it was, October. Yeah. So, you, so it's, hard, it's hard to talk about form. Yeah, there's a lot of Mon- there is a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking going on here with people that a week ago were going, and myself included, saying, yeah, it's not ideal, but it, it is what it is. We knew that Saracens were going down and this was going to be the case. But actually, these are very, very vastly experienced international players and Argentina managed it and got their first ever win against New Zealand. So there's no reason why they couldn't arrive ready. And then all of a sudden, the script is, they should never have been picked because they haven't played club rugby. It's that I, feel that's, I just feel that's Monday morning quarterbacking going on. I was open to both options happening. So, you know, we are told to, uh, con- continuously they play too much rugby, they're too tired. We hear this all the time. Yeah, but didn't Billy Vanapolo apparently take a pay cut in order to stay... stay he said he stay, would. He said he'd take a pay cut to play less. Yeah, he, he definitely said that, whether yeah. he has taken that pay yeah, cut. Yeah, of <laughs> course. The inquiry, will, the inquiry will find out later. <laughs> um, on, the, on the resting of players... Thinking back about it now, it's happened. There has been some whinging about Johnny Sexton not being match ready because of the welfare policies in Ireland. And, I'm, and so I'm, sure. I'm really sorry to interrupt. I would just say the year he won World Player of the Year, he played five times. Or was yeah, it five I'm or not se- sure. Six or seven times for Leinster in the whole season. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I'm still not sure if it is a thing or not. I, I still don't know. I would say based on this game, it looks like it is a thing. Billy in particular. Mm. I also think Sean Maitland may prove that certain positions don't 
need to be playing all the time. But Sean Maitland's job is to run up and down the field chasing high balls, whereas Owen Farrell has to be sharp. He has to be sharp. And the difference between him and uh, Finn Russell was obvious. It was obvious that Finn Russell I didn't think Finn Russell had one of his better games, to be honest. He didn't, but he was still a million times better than Owen. The um, outside of Atoji, the Saracens lads were poor. I thought very poor, and you don't often say that about them. They are magnificent players in their own right, but they weren't yesterday. I, I thought I thought Atoji was was very good. I, th- I thought Elliot, Elliot Daly actually played well, and I've, mm. I've seen him get a bit of stick. But I, as I said before, I don't think it was him um, who made any had any major mistakes or anything like that. I just. Um, I, I think it, rather than being positional, I almost think it's a an individual aspect. Um, what what is that individual's mentality? Do they go if they're uh, injured or not playing? Do they go home and train just as hard, or do they sit and eat dominoes and chicken wings? Um, yeah, I'm not <laughs> that, sure that's a real good metric for professional team sport players. I mean, it is great if you can do that. I mean, I'm saying this because I know I couldn't do it. And I know many other players could not just go home and work out really hard. You could. I couldn't. I bet Sean Maitland can. And I bet Billy can't. You know, just things uh, yeah. like that. It's I just... bet Itoji, Itoji can, for example. Yes. I mean, I don't know if that's a, I don't, don't know if that's true or not. But... It could be completely false. But I just don't think it's a good metric because it's unrealistic to say, yeah, just come match ready. Well, uh, uh, well, no, it's it's mm. it's good metric, is as in it's a good differentiator, as in it it's something that you're probably agreeing with the principle. It's a bad thing for the team, as in it's it's sorry, a bad thing for the team. It's a bad thing um, if you're relying on individuals to do their own work, and some of those I individuals mean, the, don't have that capacity for it. The equivalent would be um, airline pilots. You can either train in our official system or we'll just trust that you go home and read the appropriate books for your CPD and we'll see you uh, for your Monday morning flight. Is there an element of correlation not necessarily equaling causation? Because I cannot think of a more professional rugby player than Owen Farrell. And, you know, hear me now, believe me later, to use a JBism, mm. if, if the Lions goes ahead this summer, he'll be starting 10, ahead of Dan Bigger and ahead of Finn Russell. Mm. He is... Absolutely world class, and players, even the very best players, even Bowden Barrett, even Antoine Dupont, have bad games. And Owen Farrell had a bad game. Owen but, Farrell, but I think suddenly, necessarily, it may, it may well be the case that it was because he was underprepared because he hasn't played games. It could just be he had a bad game in a team that had a really off day, and that's and that's okay. But just to suddenly say. Uh, Owen Farrell can't play because uh, well, he was for, for, dreadful. For, he had a bad game. For one thing, dreadful. for one thing, what do you do if you assume and and take the correlation and causation and say it's because he hasn't played games? Well, then what do you do? Because he, what do you do? Just not not play him. For, so this not a, play until next year. This is a really interesting question. Okay, so what do you do with him now? You, if you say. You, he's your captain and he's your best player. You trust him. Well, he's one of your best okay. players. You trust him. I'm not saying necessarily playing against Italy. We can get onto that, but it's like it's obvious yeah. what you do with Owen Farrell. It's he's not a world it's not, class player. It's not obvious to me. So players respond to different things differently. So, and we need to know the reasons. If it turns out that he does need game time at the highest level of you know Europe and the Premiership and all the rest of it, it's completely understandable. It's not a, a slight on him that he needs to be competing regularly in fact if anything it just shows what kind of a competitor that he is and 
you know, he is now playing international and you do need to come into that in not just physically great shape, but mentally great well, shape. Too. All right, well, I was, I'll, fire, so I'll it, fire back at you with Alan Wynne-Jones, who was poor in recent games, hasn't really played, came back in and was great today. Yeah, and so uh, there's because just... not every player is the same. So that's what I'd say. Well, so, so, it, so, then, so then what you're saying is you don't have to be... No, nope. you, that's you, exactly you, what I'm saying. You, you, you just said if be. you're playing international rugby, you have to be ready to come in you have yeah to... now alan jones can make himself mentally ready differently to in farrell i have no problems with different players doing mm. different things so if that's the reason that's fine now maybe the reason might be owen farrell was as well prepared as he possibly could be but england have not really been working on on attack and if that's the case it'd be a bit silly to get rid of owen farrell and throw somebody else in there who'd be equally not as sharp for attack because that's just not what England have been working on. So we need to understand what it is that made Owen Farrell play as bad as he did. It could be Scottish Scottish back row being brilliant and him having a scrum half that delivers really slow ball. It could be that. I I, I was going to say, I think basically the whole of the back line, there's two two big problems because none of the back line played well for England. There are two big problems. One, I suspect it might be a bit of the attack thing. Um, If if what Eddie said was true and they didn't do anything across the autumn... uh, and the other is they were getting terrible ball. They were getting yeah. slow, disrupted back foot ball, and and actually they were rarely getting ball because they were losing it. the The pack was losing it, so it is it is difficult to criticize. Like you can't really criticize someone like uh, Ollie Lawrence in that game. No, no. one one run. He had one <laughs> run in the whole game, like, just because he's not getting the ball. I mean, I'm presumably. England still want to win this game. I know that sounds stupid, but they do want to win this game. Uh, I assume they don't want to say, okay, we're behind, but what's really important is we carry on working on our defence now and treating it as a training game. Uh, So the substitution of Ollie Lawrence, I thought, was a terrible decision because it was clear to me that Owen Farrell should have come off. Clear as day, and you leave your midfield as it is. Owen Farrell, it's probably the worst game I've ever seen him have. Ever seen him have. But I'm open to suggestions that... There are reasons for it, and also, you know, if the defence theory is correct, do I really want uh, George Ford to stand in there and just get run over, or call up a young lad like Smith and just watch Smith get run over? I mean, the reason you play these fly halves is because they what they can do going going forward as well as defensively. So I don't see making a change being a reasonable proposition unless you can prove that Owen Farrell came into that game mentally undercooked because he hasn't had game time. Which I'd be astonished if that was the case, no, having watched and listened to Owen Farrell many times mm-hmm. and, and listening to him after the game in, in this scenario. I'd be astonished if it was a, a, a mental uh, lack of preparation. It, it just doesn't strike me that that is the case. But I mean, why? Because you've done pre-season, you've both done pre-seasons, and everyone who comes into pre-season drops the ball. I went to a bloody barbecue at Sale Sharks and they, in front of all the sponsors, they got the, the players to do some passing drills. They look like level eight players because they're in pre-season. So you that, do that's sharpen not mental, up. That's not mental preparation. Well, I don't it? know what you call it because I would say, you know, rehearsing things and drilling and all that stuff. I mean, these players don't necessarily forget their skills. They just need to get back in the groove. Now, whether that's you know, the same as when a player is warming up to take shots at a basketball net or what, I don't know. Whether that's mental or physical, maybe is something of a grey area there. Well, those are closed, those are kind of closed, highly controllable motor skills, but this is a multifaceted, constantly moving game where 
issues can compound. And I think it was really interesting. And Johnny Wilkinson, a very, very straight-laced kind of pundit. I don't know whether you listened to him after the game. No, I don't listen to pundits. I don't, did you hear Johnny Wilkinson breaking it down after the game, Phil? I didn't, no. No, okay. Well, I, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And Johnny Wilkinson was recalling times uh, in the build-up to 2003. He said sometimes, he was just explaining, he said sometimes we played games and we, we, had an, we, we had an off day and the next game we tried harder and it got worse and then we tried harder. He, and, like and he like said, Alex Cuthbert? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. He said, when, he said when they actually kind of solved it and it clicked, he said it was actually really, really small things. That, that that needed tinkering with it was it was it was really small, but it sometimes you you sort of try harder and tense up. It was um I thought it was a really really good insight and it and it made me it made me feel more comfortable about the defeat because I don't think it's a, I don't think the it's a massive existential issue for this England team. They, they they are largely the same team that got to a World Cup final and blitzed New Zealand and are capable of blitzing any team in the world. I think they are having an off time. I think they're probably trying a bit too hard. I think there's not enough leadership, albeit there are there's not a lot of form, highly capped players. Is there? There's not enough form in that team. Like Mark mm-hmm. Wilson is one of my favourite players. I think he's brilliant. Um, an, uh, an older, more experienced guy. You know, we're talking about you know who are the professionals that keep themselves in shape. Mark Wilson. When's the last time he had a great game for his club? Not well, in Sale Sharks. So we're looking back like before well, the World Cup. I'm, when the England team was announced on our rugby draft WhatsApp group, you said, "My God, that's a serious England team." Yeah. And do you know what I was doing? I and it's say you know, look, if you work in investments as I do, everyone always remembers their portfolio at their height. They never remember the midpoint or the reasonable point. They always remember it at its height. And you look at that team, you go, yeah, that is a serious team. But it is a serious team when you think about Will Stewart destroying everyone last year, or you think about the damage that Mark Wilson does at eight and at six, and you think about Tom Curry, you know, when he's really going well, and Billy. Billy was the best player on the planet, arguably, for about two years. He looked like a shadow of himself. So, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone as remembering players at their height. But, you know, these players are not playing there. Tom Tom Curry's been in in form and been playing, and he he gave away some brain-dead pens and got outplayed. Yeah. Sorry, Phil, you were about to jump in then. Uh, no, I, Tom Curry's best moment was uh, with about four minutes to go where he made a, a kind of carry. half break down the left wing. Yeah. But um, I, I, I was going to say, I think I think we've, we've dis- dissected the England yeah. side of this enough. I, I, I don't actually think we've given quite enough praise to Scotland yet. Yeah. I know we did it very well at the start, but I just wanted to go over again some of the performances. And that Scotland team, I thought their back row was unbelievably good. <laughs> so uh, good was so such we we flagged it last week of them being like gritty and hard to play against abrasive nuisances but that that all of that is doing them a disservice because they were just outstanding did not expect that from matt fagerson i thought he might be a little chink in their armor Mm. and and the back line i thought maitland and and duhan did superbly well in difficult conditions and certainly miles better than than the england wingers I thought um, Redpath and Harris was a superb combination. Redpath, you said it before, Tim, to the man of born, he looked 
he looked like a, an international 12 immediately. Yeah. yeah. And and the best player on the pitch by, by some distance. And there were some really good performances. I was looking what? forward to this centre partnership. Basically, as soon as oh. I realised it was a possibility, I thought this is this is a nicely balanced combo. And on, and on Redpath, because I know Owen Slot in the Times did an article saying England are going to rue this. Can I just say, I'm absolutely delighted that uh, Cameron Redpath uh, was wearing a Scotland shirt. And uh, because his dad's a legendary Scottish player and he's Scottish and he should be playing hey, for Scotland. He doesn't get paid as much, Tim. I don't, I don't care about the money. <laughs> you should care about I, the money. I, I'm, an Eng- I'm an England fan and I want the best for my team and Cam Redpath maybe actually may have been the sort of 12 that we've been talking about that England don't have. I am delighted do you know, that he's a Scottish player. But do you know why you should be angry? You should be angry because I wasn't sure that England were going to pick a centre partnership which is going to be as balanced as the Scottish one. And they did. They had a magnificent centre partnership. But England failed to utilise them. I think Slade and uh, Lawrence are probably every bit as talented as Harris and Redpath. And probably just as balanced too. I mean, obviously they're playing 12-13 rather than 13-12. and 12, But you know, it doesn't take much imagination to solve that. Well, let's stay on Scotland because Phil's just about to mention the, the best player on the pitch. Yeah, the best player on the pitch by some distance, I yeah. think. Uh, and Scotland had a, a lot of amazing performances. The best player was Stuart Hogg. Yeah, I, I, I thought Stuart Hogg was light years. He was unbelievably good. He was so he, good. Just just everything he did. His his running game was so dangerous multiple times. He, he made brilliant breaks beating multiple defenders. And his kicking was as good as I've ever seen it. And I, I said this... Um, in the run-up to, to X's double, actually, but I was really impressed with the way that he's added like the tactical kicking. He's always had a big boot, but he's really had, added the intelligent tactical kicking to his game, and it was it, it was bu- brilliant what, in this game. What does Baxter say? He says he likes players with the ability to learn. Oh yeah. Well, and, well you, you were criticizing. You were yeah. criticizing Stuart Hogg for saying he's learning uh, about two months ago. No, that's different. That's different. <laughs> uh, jo- Johnny Gray as well. He's, Johnny Gray is so consistently brilliant that you almost don't give him credit for just how awesome he is. But him and uh, and Cummings in, in the Cummings. Were, were just Cherry. And, and Cherry's the one that I like. Relentless. George George Turner's arrows were, were brilliant yeah. under a lot of pressure. Yeah. What? Um, go- You're right. Yeah. Question. We haven't lost any. No, no. No. Okay. JB, question for you. Um, Cam Redpath, if you were advising him, would you have advised England? Yeah, 100%. As as I imagine his dad did. His dad did. His dad literally did. Is that that a statement? Is that a known known fact? I don't know if it's a known fact, but uh, yeah, I'd go for a known fact. Yeah, yeah. say His his dad said to him, play for England because you'll get more money. But then, look, I'm not putting words into his mouth, but yeah, you can safely safely assume that. But there's a there's a trade off there because sure, in England he'll get roughly uh, three times what Scotland get per game, mm-hmm. but it, but it's much harder to get a hundred caps for England. He'll get a hundred caps for Scotland. He, he, yeah, no doubt. Um, fitness fitness allowing, mm. he's the kind of guy who will get a hundred caps for Scotland there again, and, and should. If Eddie likes you. You do race, you, you, know, you do get a lot of caps. I mean, George Ford's on fifty-two or something. Quite right. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but 
look at how much competition that there is. You know, if Eddie likes you, you will play almost every game. If you're one of his men, and I'm not sure, you know, that's the decision you've got to make, isn't it, when picking the international team, particularly when there's a coach who's embedded as Eddie, because he's not going anywhere. So if you have the idea that maybe he doesn't fancy you, and I'm guessing that's the idea that Redpath must have had, he was wise to move. But if Eddie had fancied him, get in. Now, the other part of this, which I find fascinating, is... Um, did Eddie pick him because it was a political selection, a predatory selection, like he did for Sam Moore, like he did for Gary Graham, like he did for Ben Valacott, like he's might be doing for Paolo Adogu? We don't know. We'll have to um, we'll have to see. And if so, there's a kind of sweet poetic justice that this is how it manifested itself on Saturday. Well, I I don't mind how it came about. Because I just I'm glad Cam. Uh, just to return to it, I'm glad Cam Redpath is in a Scotland jersey because I've said many times about how I dislike project players and uh, I, I like the integrity of I think a, a he was born team. I think he was born in the north, in the northwest yeah oh, come on and, and he went to school at Sedbur and, and, and he's and played he played at Sale and Bath I don't got, I don't care he's Scottish he's pretty English he's Scottish he's pretty English his dad's a Scottish legend he, it's, um, do you know where he was born uh, was it I'm gonna guess it's north hang on oh hang no on. France I bet oh that's a good because his dad would have been playing in France Correct. Yeah, he, he was born in France. Nice. He was born in Narbonne. He should have gone there. He should have <laughs> played for France. <laughs> um, so, now you're talking. So um, we can return to both of these sides as we look ahead to next week and, and, and we can talk about selections in a little bit. Before we just depart England, I just want to say um, that shirt, that, that did not commemorate 150 years. It looked like a, it looked like a T-shirt with someone just drawing a rose on a felt tip. I mean, it's one of the... It's not hard to do a, a throwback shirt. And do you know what? I thought Umbro would be good at this. I thought it'd be good because under Fabio Capello, they got the English football team, the soccer team, the players from the EPL to um, get tailored for their shirts. And they looked magnificent. They even made those spindly armed football players look good. So rugby players should be a dream. No, not one bit of it. It looks absolutely dreadful in every way. I, I was hoping for um, a bit better than this because I've got quite fond memories i'm just trying to find a picture of it oh the but, purple um, one no there was one before the purple one it was about i want to say it was about 2008 or 2009 the england war against wales in the six nations that um it might be it might have been 2000 it might be 140 years um where haskell james haskell scored two tries against wales wearing uh an, a retro england shirt that i've got really fond memories of yeah, that rings a bell. Hmm. Anyway, they didn't do this. And uh, there's a couple of other things. Ellis Genji's sideburns. What is, what's going on? <laughs> or lack of. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. There's a few players in the England team I reckon lost a bet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just last thing on this game. But, but Hamish Watson's mullet. Oh, my goodness. That's a glorious thing. What about the refing? Sorry. We have to just discuss this very quickly. Uh, well, Phil's, Phil said he's watched it a second time, and I trust Phil's judgment that he got... 80% of it right. My bugbear with the refereeing, um, I thought when I was watching the game, he's having a shocker. Um, and I'm willing to be wrong on that. And I and I, and I fully acknowledge I'm biased and uh, and that can influence the way you look at it. Uh, but the one thing I, I cannot forgive, and it's not just uh, Andrew Brace, although I think he's worse than, than most. There was one... In, during the Finn Russell 10 minutes, if you went back and looked at that, more than half of the 10 minutes would have been spent with players standing, not even in a scrum, standing, mm. waiting 
to to get into a scrum. And the the problem I have with this is this is one of the biggest shop windows for rugby union. And we all love the sport and we want as many people to enjoy it, to love it, both as spectators, but maybe want, want to take their kids along to a local club to fill the coffers, to then have people enjoy it and fitness and health and enjoy the game for a lifetime. That, for a lot of people, would have been a dreadful spectacle. Mm. As, as, you know, put aside the fact there was no crowd this time, which we'll add to it. There, I can just say from from my wife, uh, just stood there. She was saying, "There's a lot of standing around." Yeah, I mean, I get it, but yeah, fine. You need to understand the game. You need to put in the effort because the NFL is on tonight. What do you mean, put in the effort? As in, you need to put in the effort. You need to do the hard yards. You need to watch game after game after game and understand what you're looking at. I don't buy the argument that I'm, I'm, but just because a casual observer can't no, no. do it. Look. Millions no, 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 of no. Casual I, observers I, I, what I'm not watch. saying is I want loads of tries, super rugby yeah. style. What I'm saying is I want more ball in playtime. Have you noticed? I'll just say this: mm. Have you noticed no TV broadcaster mentions ball in playtime anymore? There's a reason why. I haven't because because it would be embarrassing for the game. Well, maybe if, if it should. was if it was ever made public, it would be an embarrassment for the game. Well, maybe they should. Well, firstly, maybe they should. And second of all, tonight the Super Bowl is on. It's an hour-long game, which is going to be spread over three hours. So the idea that standing around and no action somehow detracts from a sport, um, you know, doesn't necessarily hold true because we're going to watch one tonight, which will have more viewers than any other. But but that that you still get the action in in rugby. It's a zero-sum game. For every minute that stood around, you you lose a minute of action. Yeah, maybe they need to be better with the clock. Maybe they need to take the clock off. I w- I'd be up for that. Maybe take the clock off the referee. Be up for that too. Yeah, I I I could go for that. Although I do quite like it. Uh, kind of the the two hour window for a rugby game does feel about right, especially as as we often do. Uh, we watch kind of five plus games of rugby in a weekend. <laughs> to yeah, do that, if yeah, if each one point. is taking four hours, becomes increasingly difficult. So I just want to say a couple of things about the officiating. Number one, yeah, the decision against Ellis, Ellis Genge, I thought, was an absolute travesty. I cannot, it, it was ludicrous. I mean, that is not acceptable. When you expect your players to behave... Um, for, for anyone who can't remember, it was when Ellis Genge went in low on the hooker, I think it was, yeah. uh, um, and well, hit, hit shoulder connected, and that flipped him, and Ellis Genge's arms, which did wrap, just missed the bottom of his feet. And it yeah. was given as a no-arms tackle. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. The problem is, you want to watch a game and you want to kind of relate to how you play the game. I know amateurs play it differently to pros, but you can see an arm wrap. There is no way on earth that that is a penalty. No way on earth. And it's such an important penalty, too. It's a massively important penalty. In fact, every decision in this game, because it turned out to be so close, is a massively important decision. So you're watching this, you're thinking... He's tried to wrap his arms. He's clearly tried to wrap his arms. It didn't happen. There is no way that that is a penalty. It was wrong. And if you've got a TMO as well, even less of an excuse. Even less. So that's that. The other one was the Billy yellow card. That's not a yellow card. The Finn Russell yellow card is yellow all day. I mean, some people might even say that's a red because it's such deliberate foul play. And I think it was Rougerie, wasn't it? Who broke his leg from a Phil Greening trip. Hmm. Anyway, I'm fine it? with the yellow for that, but yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with the yellow, yeah. but it could be red. I'm okay. 
uh, I'm not fine with the yellow for yellow for Billy. I mean, that's just ridiculous. There was, I mean, what happened to the decision tree where okay, it's high, and then mitigating factors including force. There was no force in it. The guy was going well, down. I, I I think that was half given for the high tackle and half given for the compounding of of, a, of team ah, errors, which which that it wasn't, I'm okay with. That it wasn't because England weren't given a warning, but that's how it was kind of treated. So it was a bit of a weird one. Yeah. If that's the case, I'm okay with it. If it is a standalone high shot, that's not a high shot. It is a high shot, but it's not it, a yellow card high shot. Yeah, I, and it, it certainly wasn't the normal decision-making tree, exactly as you said. But also, equally, there wasn't a, a team warning, unless I missed it uh, both times I watched it. Yeah, I think um, they were warned, actually, thinking about it. It was an excruciating game to watch as an England fan, so uh, I, I'm fully aware. I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, of course you did. Really? You're not an England, You're not fan. An England fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just it's, saying I enjoyed it. An excruciating game to watch as an England fan. Um, so I'm fully aware that my that the tension may have translated into way that the way that I interpreted Andrew Brace, but I did I just did not like him the way he managed managed the game and um uh, and I, yeah that that's all I, I, I would say. I I didn't particularly like the way he managed the game. I th- I think I, as I said before, eighty percent of his decisions were correct. The bit that frustrated me um, a little bit was was the I think there was quite a bit of inconsistency, and as a probably a slightly biased fan, although I tried to be objective second time I watched it, um, I think quite a bit of the inconsistency went against England and a good a good one because there's a few mostly around the rook actually, but a good example is the Johnny Hill uh, penalty in the first minute where he flops off his feet um or he clears, clears out very low clears out kind of goes onto his chest yeah, fair enough. over over he told you when he told you he's two yards from the line that had that not been given as a penalty i'm fairly confident in england get at least three points in that scenario mm-hmm. but that the rook before that the rook from the charge down was almost a mirror image in the reverse way that mm. happens scotland did it multiple times throughout the game england did it multiple other times throughout the game it never ever got pinged besides that one, including when Finn Russell had the charge down kick. There's two minutes left on the clock. Finn Russell has the charge down kick, and two Scotland players do it almost identical to that to secure their own ball, and it wasn't given then either. So that that inconsistency is infuriating. That's not why England lost, but it's just no. it's frustrating yeah. to watch. That. And it, it's, it's, this, this isn't sour grapes. Scotland were the best team, and uh, oh, massively! Scotland should have won by more. Go yeah, on, be sour. Be, by... be, be sour. No, about it. no, no go uh, on, do it. No, the people want it. No, Scotland, Scotland should have won by fifteen points. Yeah. No, and can right, I just on say that performance? Can, uh, we saw a bit of Finn sanity as well in this game. Yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> and I just, I just love uh, in this modern uber professional game uh, to see. I'm looking at a picture now of Finn Russell with the ca- the top of the Calcutta Cup on his head and his tongue stuck out. That's what happens I when just, you're really I just good. I love it. I'm sure he had more. I'm sure he was allowed to have more than the two beers after. Yeah. after <laughs> that that one, and I hope he did. Well, no, that's why. That's why he was kicked out of camp because he wanted more than two. Ah, well, right, you got quite. Um, I, I thought he was only allowed two at half time. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Would you guys make any changes to the next England team? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that when okay. we look ahead to the next Perfect. game. Because, because we've just been talking about a ref- referee, and that, that that actually is a good segue into Wales versus Ireland. Uh, because, we, well, Billy Burns tried his best to take the heat off Peter Omani, but um, that that Oof. was the that, that was a defining moment in that game. Yeah, I was watching this and I was thinking somebody's getting fired. I don't know who it's going to be though. I was trying to work out who's getting fired. Because Ireland looked... Actually, Ireland came out of it looking okay in the end. Until the very end. They sort of rallied a little bit. They played okay. I still think Ireland should be beating Wales by a good old margin. And should Peter Amoni have stayed on, I suspect that they probably would have, actually. I've thought, this is Six Nations. And aside from Italy, I don't think you say that about any, any match-up. No, I do. I mean, I haven't seen anything from this Welsh team since Pivak's taken over, which fills me with any confidence whatsoever. What? Do you not think there's not think there's a few green shoots in no, this game? Not really. Really? I mean, he tried to move on from Warren Gatland by picking the 2013 Grand Slam team, from what I can tell. <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, they're playing as an understrength island. I thought there might be okay. If this is the bounce back, if this is Six Nation bounce back and passion, let's be very worried for when that run, runs out. Well, I'm not sure I'd say the the bounce back and passion, but I, I think while Wales played badly at times, I think there's there are some green shoots. There's some positives to take um, from this game, and the, the two that I'd I'd mention now would be, I thought other than the Tyburn try when Henshaw burst through, uh, I thought the defensive structure. And commitment was very good. Yep. Um, and there was several times where, including the Lewis Rees Summit try, which was excellent, but several times where the the backline's handling was um, as good as I've, I've seen it from a Wales backline, particularly one including George North and uh, Lee Halfpenny, who both put in excellent hands for that Lewis Rees Summit try. They did. So th- th- those two, now th- they're not going to, that alone is not going to win you games but that it's improvements from the position they were in last last year certainly i don't think it's all negative for wales no not at all and players like alan win was back to alan win he put in some good hits yeah and he but to think about it he was symptomatic of wales prior to today where he'd looked and people were saying oh god he's not going to make the lions is he I... and people were he was he was very much off form and in a Wales team, and this is why I sort of you know dovetail it with England and say this is why I'm 
I'm I'm not panicking yet because because Wales were really bad and Alan Wynn was looking a shadow of the man we knew and he was he was looking great today in a team that had a lot more energy. When Alan Wynn well rested was playing second fiddle to Sam Warburton and this was during the New Zealand tour. People were saying he was past it then. Look, it's his third tour or whatever it was. This guy is done. He's past it. Uh, since he's become the captain of Wales and he's had some cracking results under Gatland, particularly the win against England uh, two years ago now, he has developed this cult status. And I think this cult status both underplays when he... Sorry, both overplays when he doesn't do so well and overplays when he does as expected. And I don't think there's there's any difference to this. I thought he played well. I thought he played like Alan jones I don't think he did anything exceptional or anything over what he normally does. He's still a very, very good player. Maybe that's why Jake uh, Ball hit him and just said, come on, Alan, snap, yeah. snap yourself out of this rut you're in. That's donk. The best way See, I, I can look at Wales is the way I looked at Wasps, which was... When they were under Die Young, they were a talent-based team. You just get your best players out, and anything which isn't your best player is going to be a weakness, and you need everyone fit and firing all the time. And then subsequent to that, Wasps now have become a very well-coached team where they can put in anyone, and yeah, we'll talk about how they went on the weekend. Really? Well, yeah, they won 10 games on, on the trot. Midweek games, weekend games, got a, a semi-final. Yeah, and also had some very, very important people come back that, that were ill, that, that were not ill, injured for a long time, like Jimmy Gopeth and Jack Willis, with a very, very uh, sm- small squad, a, a very inexpensive squad. So you can see the difference which coaching makes. And I think Wales have done the opposite. They've gone from a very well coached team into a team which relies on their big players and their skillful players putting in a performance. And you can't win that many games like that, particularly at international. This is the problem that Wales are going to continue to have. They've just won a Six Nations game, mate. Against 14 people. Come on. Come on. So it, it, it isn't... I wouldn't be getting carried away by this Wales performance, not one bit. But we'll see what next week next week brings. This, this, this does feel a little bit like when England were doing really well and, the, and we'd joke and go, come on then, tell us why England need to worry, JB. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, but, England, but Wales aren't doing that, really well, are they? Well, no, that was there were lots. How many there have they were won in the last twelve? There so. were lots of elements that were a big step up. This, they've got some issues because they've got a lot of things that they need to solve and improve. Like their lineout was dreadful, for example. Mm. But um, there were a lot of things that were much, much improved from the autumn. I would be very careful before taking things from this game and saying, "Yeah, this is an improvement." They're against a fourteen-man island for how long? Seventy minutes. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, sixty-five, seventy yeah. minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's. But, a, I don't know, and they didn't actually look that comfortable for most of it. They, they certainly didn't for the first twenty or so when Ireland came out of the block and scored thirteen points. Mm. But, they, but the 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 one man missing, I, I'm I'm still. I know I, I bang this drum frequently, but I, I'm still. So I'm convinced if you're a bad disorganized team it is a real problem. If yeah. you're a well-organized, well-drilled, intelligent team, like Ireland clearly were because they knew who was going where in every scenario when they were a man down, it's far less of an issue. Now, I think it probably... Ireland had a shot to win it anyway, um, even though they were down to 14 men for 65, 70 minutes, um, that, they, that Billy Burns fluffed. Um, had they had a full complement for the full game... 
I probably think they might have just snuck it, but I don't think they they <clears throat> batter Wales in in this scenario at all. Well, Wales Wales were by far the best team uh, for the fifteen minutes or whatever it was when Ireland had fifteen men. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. I just don't think. No, I, I'm staying. I'm staying <laughs> exactly. Uh, where I was before, which is a 14-man island. I thought Ireland would win this by 10 points. They Billy Burns missed a kick to touch. You know, there's every chance Ireland could have won this. Every chance, except for one individual skill error. Uh, it just shows that international rugby is a tight, tight arena. I, I am worried for Wales, and I suspect there's going to be a change of management by the end of the Six Nations. I really do. Put it on the whiteboard. Uh, it's gone missing. Oh, no, it hasn't gone no, missing. No, there it is. It's just behind that stolen Sedgley Tigers <laughs> sign. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoops. Put it on the whiteboard. Are you going to put it on the whiteboard? Well, I don't have a marker. But but if, if you had a marker, would me, you write me, it on the whiteboard? I'll, I'll put this on the whiteboard. Wales finished second bottom. Wales finished so, fifth. Uh, fifth. Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, although getting, getting a win uh, against Ireland is a good start. Um, I will say one thing in this that neither neither team will be taking the positives out of it because they're not uh, not Pat Lamb. Um, th- this was an attritional game. Right? Both of them lost so many players yeah. Yeah, right. throughout this game. It was absolutely brutal. It was a brutal game. Mm. I would that's, have... that's not going to bode well for the rest of the Six Nations for either of them. I would have liked to have seen more of Dan Lydia. I know I've seen him in the past. But he's one of those players that I just love, hardworking. I thought big, you just said strong. you just started this thing by saying, "Oh, he's just picked the team for the one the Grand care. Slam in whatever I year." Care. I don't care. I can still, <laughs> I, I can still have fondness. Uh, the same way that Tom Brady is playing tonight at age forty-two. Look, I would forty-three. Love, forty-three. I do you know who, who I'd love to see back in an England shirt? Richard Richard Wigglesworth. That that's who I want to see. <laughs> so just because I said that does not mean I, I don't wish him the best of luck, and I, I, I want to see him play. Get Richard Hill back in an England shirt. Oh, now, there's yeah, a player. There there, there's a player I enjoy watching. Yeah, I, I, if I could see Dan Lydia do a few um, ankle tackles, I'd have been very happy. Can I just say well, best? That... Best. Thing, oh, sorry, go on, Phil. You just say what you're going to say there. I was just going to say that that um, Ellis Genge tackle was very much a Dan Lydia special. It was. Yep. Yeah, it was. Uh, best thing about the coverage uh, today on BBC was the fact that they did not, and I reckon they may well have. He did the criticisms in previous years. The pre-match to Wales v Ireland was not a big chat about England, which in a, in every other year it has been. In fact, they did not mention England v Scotland in the entire build-up to. They just worse to Wales I, Island. I, I really have a massive bugbear about the coverage of Six Nations. I know I've told I, you I want to give credit where credit's due because I may well agree with what you're saying, but I'm just yeah. I just wanted to say well done BBC for that for not just rabbiting on about England. Do you know, okay, so here's what annoys me about the coverage of the Six Nations. And maybe it's because I'm spoiled and also a bit of a brat and also contrarian. But still, <laughs> um, every time I watch BT Sport, and this isn't just a blind shout out to, to BT Sport or indeed Premier Sport, anyone who does broadcasting of rugby on a regular basis, I know the effort that goes into making a rugby broadcast so i know that someone like ugo monia or someone like nick mullins or someone like yourself tim will call around the clubs they'll make sure that they know what they're doing they'll talk to players i mean they'll in some cases and i've seen this myself they'll literally stand on the sidelines with binoculars and a pad of paper during training and write things down to put in a really high quality rugby broadcast 
is bloody hard. And they don't do it just on a one-off. They start with the rubbish games and you work your way up and you finally get there and then you do the premiership and eventually you should end up in Six Nations. And what annoys me beyond belief is that when they announce these people who are going to be being the, be the pundits or indeed even the presenters for Six Nations, they're people that are basically part-timers. What on earth does Martin Johnson know about Irish rugby or Welsh rugby? Is he on, is he on the sidelines of the Pro 14? Is he doing it week in, week out? Does he know the nuances of the relationships between I don't know, the Scarlets players or you know what the last derby was? Who is his contact at the Scarlets? I just cannot, for the life of me, understand why they have uh, the Guscuts and the Brian Moores and the Woodwoods. They have nothing of note to say because they're no longer in the game. And it's really hard. You can't just show up after a whole season's been on, sit down and tell us about rugby. We need experts. All right. Well, I'm going to just play devil's advocate and give, a, give an alternative point, which is that is that is a point And I, I can understand and appreciate uh, the sentiment of, of that point. I would say... We are the very, very tip of the pyramid in mm. terms of hours spent watching rugby. And, and <laughs> there is a, there is an argument about that. And the major <laughs> and the majority of the millions of people who would have watched these terrestrial broadcasts, particularly at a time like like now, this is why I was so frustrated with the how the, the lack of ball in playtime in the England Scotland game. Because as it turned out on ITV, there were eight and a half million people watched that, which is mm. that is un unheard of for, for well not unheard of because it happens most years but that, I mean that is just I know what you mean. mind-boggling numbers for rugby that the vast majority of those are not people that actually care about a lot of the things you and I and Phil and, and many and, and many people listening will care about so I'm not negating your point I'm just saying actually you've got to remember a, a broadcast of this scale has to appeal to yes your real in deep rugby fans who want those nuggets of real knowledge mm. and people that are just watching that one of only a half a dozen games they watch all year they'd be better getting chris jones on uh, i tell you what a smart appointment is someone like um like jim hamilton jim hamilton just lives and breathes rugby all week he does a podcast on it i'm not saying we should employ podcasters of course not that's 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 a ridiculous thing to say <laughs> he does top 14 and i just think you need to be on this all the time in order to give a really good, good 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 product, and there's plenty of people out there to do it. Well, this is one of what this is one of rugby's issues, which I've uh, have I mentioned this before? I don't know. I've spoken with a radio station about ah. about a rugby show in the past, and they've said, right, we just need someone, and they want it to appeal to a mass audience, and so they said, it, we, we, yeah, Tim, we'd want you to do it, and you'd, we'd need to do it with someone who is a household name. And when you actually go, what you name them? Who's a household rugby name? Brian Moore. The non. You, you joke. You joke. Yeah. He, How? He's on the list because he was in an England team when. Right. What, no, wait. He was in an England team when it was on terrestrial TV and England was successful and winning Grand Slams and there was only four channels. I know. We, we do this back to front. Okay. So we plan your rugby show for 18 months' time. Okay. Now, in the meantime, pick the guy that you want to work with. Who would you most like to work with who's kind of semi-retired or about to retire? Who's the player that, the player that you want? Um, ooh. Tom Wood. Tom Wood would be, be an interesting bloke to do it with. Courtney Laws. 
Courtney Laws. Courtney Actually, Laws. yes, Courtney Laws. Courtney Laws, Laws right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. I think Courtney Laws is definitely the future of, of broadcasting, right? So what we do with Courtney, A, he's already got a fairly big profile and big name, but maybe it's not big enough. So this Christmas, we get him with uh, dun- uh, uh, Stri- Stri- Strictly Come Stri- Dancing. Strictly Come Dancing. Yep. Yep. And then in the <laughs> summer, we throw him into Love Island. And by the end of that yeah. process... We've hit all the key demographics that we need to hit, and then we put him on uh, talks talk sport for about one sixth of the uh, income. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. Love it. All, all he needs to do is give up his lions, his international career, then his dignity going on go, going on to uh, strictly, and then. And the- his family, because you need to be single to get onto Love Island. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say he's his wife and four kids. Yeah, he's yeah. got to give up. <laughs> That's all he needs to do to give up to get, you know, a very bit part insecure job. But by the way, how much would you love to see? You know how the lads do those workouts with the dumbbells in the gym. How much would you love to see them doing it next to Courtney? Who would do, Courtney would do proper weights? Don't even bother. Would not he? not beach bicep curls. He'd yeah. go there and do deadlifts and. Uh, Real weights. And, yeah. back, and back squats. Deep back squats. Or just not bother. What's yeah. that to prove? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's my, that, that, that would be my plan. I see what you're saying. You need the names. You need names. We don't need all the names. So when eight and a half million people turn on the telly, it does, it does make a difference. And actually going, oh, that's, John, that's Johnny Wilkinson. Mm. I want to hear what he's got to say. Versus, I, and I totally take your point. You want that knowledge. And so there's no excuse having uh, for um t- there's no excuse for not being able to appeal to both the highly highly um hungry rugby fan who wants all the intricacies and also the casual, yeah, I'd casual love fan. to see Austin Healy do Six Nations. I, I, mean, I totally agree. Genuinely love to see. Oh, well, he's done. He's done Strictly Come Dancing. He's done Strictly Come yep. Dancing. There we go. He can do your rugby I, show. I uh, actually agree. I actually agree. I think. <laughs> I think he is woefully underused. Out. Uh, he's not used at all outside. I'm of not sure sport. he's that bothered. Actually, no, I don't yeah. think he's bothered. He's in, you know independently wealthy and doesn't really give a damn. No. And Haskell. Haskell's the other one who's got so much to say and so much worldly experience. He's one of the few actually who could probably give you an insight into, you know the. Uh, New Zealand system, the French system, the Japanese system. He, did, he was on I'm a Celebrity. He's on I'm a Celebrity. You know, all the, the important e- things. MMA. MMA. You name it. That boy can talk about See it. See him in OK Magazine with his with his missus. Got a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, written a book. There we go. I mean, why they don't use these people, I do not know why I have... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I share your frustration because just, just listening to... Well, the, the two... Um, Post-match pundits. Um, I, I really like Warburton. Yeah, I think Warburton all, always adds value, adds value and adds insight. John Martin Johnson. It's, it's. Um, I just. And by the way, I, have, I get I get no benefit from listening to him no. whatsoever. And I have yeah. no problem if Martin Johnson wants to take it seriously. I mean, I would love to hear his knowledge paired up to his efforts on the sidelines every week at premiership games and doing all the hard yards, I would love that. But if he's not going to do it, I don't want to hear him. Simple as that. Or, and, uh, it, I, 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 and I don't want to, it's, it's sometimes you don't want to hear like, oh, like Clive Woodward just go, oh, this is how I remember it when when I when we won the World Cup. That's You don't always want to hear that. But at the very least, if if you are there, I want to hear you relate it to your experiences and mm. quite often the problem some of these players do they have all this knowledge that they can draw upon and they never use it they just spit someone, out cliches <laughs> someone said <laughs> someone said on twitter which i which, which made me laugh quite a lot i would love to give 
broadcast journalism ago. If only I could put up with the with the abuse. And I thought that's a very peculiar way to look at things, isn't it? Because that assumes that you're instantly good enough, and it's also quite insulting because it all it doesn't actually tell you any of the effort which these people put into getting there. So if you want to be a presenter, I think presenter is probably the most it's probably the most competitive job in all of rugby because you don't necessarily need to be a rugby player to do it. There are about five gigs in the entire country. There's even less during the Six Nations. And what well, you've, you've got to do it for about a decade. The thought that the, the only thing stopping you doing it is you or you'd be on the Six Nations is absolutely ludicrous. Well, whoever that person is, I, I would love, I would just love... Just give to, them a microphone. There you go. I'd love to tell them in detail. Uh, I'd love them to just ask me, how, how did you end up doing what you're doing? And I'll bloody tell you. Yeah. I, I tell, for one, for one, we've... Um, I've done a podcast for seven years, every single Sunday, even when we've had members of the team in hospital, have it, it, we've had babies, we've been away on honeymoons. It never occurs to people that they just might not be good enough to do this job. I know it's fucking, I'm sorry, it's really hard <laughs> because, because I have tried it. I got someone, a professional cameraman to film me doing a two minute uh, thing and then a show reel and then sales shocks tv were kind enough to put me on tv and well tv on their broadcast i was bloody horrendous so the, the fact that you think you can just do it it's embarrassing just don't tweet, tweet just don't tweet that nonsense mm. unless you can do it <laughs> or go get yourself a camera go down to united or any any ground and do some sort of vox pop for free build your own show reel and send it in and you still might not be good enough mm. it's hard so shall, shall we segue across to uh, Italy France unless you've got anything else uh, to touch on I literally have Wales nothing Island. to say about this game Hugo Keenan love loved Hugo Keenan I thought he was yeah. he looked really good and that's been a problem position for Ireland what with uh, Crichton you weren't sure totally whether he's going to be the long term <laughs> answer of 15 for Ireland and Jordan Lama you have worries about him defensively The thing about Crichton is I thought you were referring to uh, Taburnan not Taburn <laughs> Todd Furlong. Todd Furlong. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, He's got Crichton, Crichton head too. Stockers. Stockers. Um, so, yeah, really, really liked Hugo Keenan. and Yeah, had I, a good I, game. I, I thought Ireland actually did a lot of really good things. I the fero- their, Some of their, like their front row coming off the bench, they've got six mm. just ferocious front row players. Uh, and I think Hen... Hendo needs to get a bit more game time. I thought Henshaw was good, actually. He had a lot of nice little touches. Ma- made some errors. Hen- made some errors. Henshaw was good. But he was yeah. good, yeah. He was good. So anyway, I think there's, there's there's enough there to feel positive if you're an Ireland fan. Peter Omani made a silly decision. Definite red card. Billy Burns, poor bugger. Oh. I, I just I just wonder if he was just being kind to Freddie and just going, I'll tell you what, you've had enough stick about that try against Toulouse. I'll, uh, I'll take the heat <laughs> off. It was so heartbreaking, wasn't it, that moment? <laughs> it, it was so <laughs> heartbreaking. Did either of you see um, Johnny Sexton's comments about it? Uh, yeah, he said, what did he say? Uh, he said, fly halves at that stage of the game, you have to go for it. No hard feelings um, can happen to any of us, basically. Oh, he didn't say, yeah. uh, I thought he might have said something like, if you if you take a, take a shot at the champ, you better not miss. <laughs> that kind of thing. Don't take my shirt again, punk. Yeah, it was, it was closer to what Tim said. Uh, <laughs> dis- disappointingly. Yeah, he, he, he totally, totally backed him, totally backed the decision uh, and said, look, kind of uh, what, what you said, Tim, but as when you're a 10, you can be a hero one week and you can be um, the villain you, and cost the game the next week. And that that's the, you've you got to ride with it. Do you know what the advantage of a red card is? 
and this is not even a joke, this is something I thought of watching the game, is you have a very unusual opportunity to change the complexion of a game from your bench. So Ireland went for the longest time, didn't they, with seven forwards because you want to yes. keep your back line. And Henshaw as an auxiliary flanker. Uh, yeah, but actually, yeah. five minutes to go, going for the corner, maybe that last play, why not make the substitution to get your last forward on in place of a back? Mm. Like I just thought that's a relatively unusual situation that you find yourself in. Mm. In fact, why not take it a step further, which is if you are chasing the game and you've got a kick to the corner and you've got some something spare on your bench, even though people tend to empty their benches fairly quickly, throw on the extra forward anyway. Anyway. Just throw them on. That's never happened. That's interesting, actually. But why wouldn't you? Ed, Eddie Jones talking about his um, hybrid players. Yeah. I, so so yeah so defensively, Ben Earl could go out and defend uh, on the wing, uh, or the Sam Simmons would be yeah. amazing for this. But then you're a, you're a ninth forward when you want to keep it tight. I tell you why you wouldn't do it because if you're chasing a game anyway, you're emptying your bench. That's the only thing I can think yeah. of. Like, you're so desperate for anything to change in your favour, you're going to empty that bench. There's no way you're going to have anyone left. And also, you're, yeah. you're you're only giving yourself well. You're narrowing your options to win because blood subs. That's how you do it. Mm. I don't know if it's been tried before, but like a little razor, a little nick <laughs> capsule from a yeah like on the inside of the uh, inside capsule inside the mouth. Someone yeah. should think of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think there was enough for, for Ireland to feel positive about. Wales, I think, should feel happy, and Welsh fans should feel happy at the win and the manner of the victory as well. It's not perfect, but there's, I think there's enough to feel good about. I think Phil's point about the injuries and the toll it might take on, on a thin squad is a good one. Yeah, that will be tough. Yeah. Um, just, we mentioned hybrid players there and backs playing in the forward or forwards playing in the backs. I can't believe... Uh, it, we're probably an hour into the podcast now and we've not mentioned it up to this yeah. point. John, Johnny May packed down at number eight. Number eight. Yeah, that... tight, tight head eight. Amazing. Um, amazing scenes from Johnny May. He was pushing down on his, on his locks, I felt. Did you feel that? Uh, did did they, did they that scrum ever complete? Was it the one where there was free kicks, re-scrum, penalty? First time it collapsed. So if you've never played eight before, you can push down on your locks thinking you're pushing forward. You have, to, you have to get under the the crease of their ass cheeks. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not. I mean, it's very straightforward. But it's not straight. It's only straightforward if you know it's straightforward. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. It, it's good that even when you know England were playing really badly and in very difficult conditions, uh, you know, the, the squad were and Eddie Jones were able to just take the piss and have a laugh, <laughs> <laughs> just for jokes. Because that that, that would, that's the only reason that would have been done is for jokes, not for no functional reason, just for just for the crack <laughs> bants. <laughs> so uh, um, yes, Italy, France. Well, I, I mean, just... uh, the the joke would have been to say, um, we need to have a conversation about whether we need six teams in this competition, and uh, should we should we actually remove a team that's so poor by comparison to the others. Uh, relegate England, but 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 still that, that that conversation around Italy just will not go away. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's his face? Who's the coach again? I've just brain farted his name. Franco Frank- Smith. Yeah. Franco Smith has just had an <clears throat> absolute shocker thinking you can go into a Six Nations with kids. Yeah, it's not. I mean, to be honest, I don't have anything to say about this. I was watching uh, Harlequin's Bath, and I was watching. 
something else. Wasp. I was London Irish Wasps. Gloucester. No, I did, I did watch that. I, wa- I watched London Irish Gloucester. I watched Wasps, and I watched Harlequins all at different points. So I was uh, busy watching as dual screening Wasps and Bath, and then the France game was on in front. Wasp, of me, Wasp but... lost to Saints is the game. We'll get into that in our other podcast. Yeah, Wasp Saints. And Bath Quins. Bath Quins was the other one, yeah. So then the big TV did have France on it, but I just didn't see a single thing which happened. Um, if, if we talk positives for Italy, they had some nice moments. Uh, Brex, their Italian-born um, centre, looked great, actually. He oh, was a Italy's real posit- Italian-born centre? Do you mean to say that? I don't believe Italy's, they exist, do they? Sorry, Ar- Argentine-born centre. Ah, right, I was going to say, okay. Apol- apologies, yeah. Uh, Brex, um, he looked great. Uh, Varney had some nice touches, including a disallowed try, which was, I, th- I think it was a little bit harsh. Uh, sorry, what, he didn't score. Uh, Ioane scored it, Monty Ioane, who looks magnificent. He looks great. He's, he, he scored it. Um, it looks magnificent. He, he finished that try quite well. He's an incredible-looking uh, chap. Um, other than that, they were considerably the worst team. Uh, France kind of cut them open at will. Yeah, beat, beat them up up front, and just that French back line is unreal. So T- good. T- Teddy Thomas, Ficou oh. and Vincent in the centre, superb. Yeah. Doulan and Villiers, the, 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 the small like, Toulon winger. I like winger. that kid. And then the halfback combo, mm. Bear did everything he needed to do, which is let the boys outside in play. And Anton Dupont just, he just finds himself in the right place every single time. Yeah. He's just, the way he reads the game is like no one else. He's amazing. So yeah, I mean, people talk, incredible. People talk about his rugby brain. I just want to talk about his actual head because his brain must be enormous. <laughs> his head is just enormous. He's the perfect rugby player as well for the new laws. Yeah, exactly. Don't switch head. Short, short, enormous head. Eighty percent head. <laughs> You're right. You're right. No, that France are so good. Italy actually did a lot of good things. They just did, and this is why. I go, just sort of not trying to bring everything back to England, but just mentioning why I wasn't. I, I could understand England kicking it in a lot of situations. Italy were just running into a brick wall, phase after phase, for minutes on end in their own half. Then losing the ball and France just score. It was it was um, really naive. A lot of naive play. Hmm. I haven't seen this, um, but if you've finished, I I do have a few things that I would like to say about other things. Other things. Uh huh. Related to Six Nations and stuff. Absolutely related. To oh, Six go Nations. on. So first of all, I know what you're thinking. Congratulations to Lee Need. Well done, you. Uh, and also congratulations to Adam Coates, although Adam sadly came second to Lee. You will both be getting Negronis from our Negroni League. So uh, amazing! Th- yeah, those are the winners of this week's. Um... Whoa, whoa, whoa! I just want to just want to make sure: is Adam Coates only getting the Negroni because his name begins with a letter in the alphabet before someone else? Should we maybe flip a coin for him and the other people on the same number of points? Ooh, that's a good point. If, if he's only there on, um... well, no, no, because obviously. His parents assumed one day he would be in the Negroni League. These things, these things matter. Wait, like triple A rat catching. Wait, as you know, check this in, in the older uh, yellow pages. So this he is, is our one ma- of yeah. Go on. He is he is one of four 
uh, who finished second. on 48 points. And it is done alphabetically. Oh, it is. Because Adam, Ho- Adam Coates is ahead of Matt Grindrod, who is ahead of Gareth Jones, who is ahead of Gareth Williams. A lot of Welsh people came quite high in our match pint prediction uh, league. Didn't they? Pre- yeah. Predicting a Wales win and no doubt predicting an England defeat. All right. So we know Lee Need is either going to drink a Negroni or send it, send it to someone he hates. Yes. So that is. So what are we going to do about this, this four-way? Uh, this four-way, we could just... How do we pick a number between one and four? Um, can do a, an Excel random number generator. <laughs> of course you can, Phil. Of course, yes. Uh, and as, <laughs> as Phil is just getting that set up, let me remind you that uh, on the MatchPint app, uh, you can find the MatchPint Prediction League. Uh, our league is called Egg Chasers. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that have joined us, and uh, many, a great many of them are better at predicting than uh, Phil and I, JB. I'm very disappointed. You you haven't. You, it's our podcast, and you're and the whole. And you, I think you even <laughs> engineered a tweet that went out at the weekend, which said, "Think you're better at predicting matches than JB," and you haven't even predicted this week. Well, if I had a play this week, I'd have scored 58 points, which is incredible, um, because obviously Lee got 57. I was in 40. I'm in 44th position in ours because I did predict a Wales win. Oh, did you? Well, then yes. you. I would not have pre- pre- predicted that, to be fair. Um, yeah, I'm just not a real big fan of fantasy sports not whilst my okay tom wood this weekend did an amazing bit of rowing an incredible bit of rowing i can't remember what his splits are but go on twitter and he's got his pictures up it's a stephen ferris uh, inspired rowing challenge which involves rowing 750 meters two minute rest 250 meters two minute rest 500 meters two minute rest 750 meters two minute rest and finish off with a thousand meters and it's the total time spent rowing and basically you are absolutely amazing if you get sub 11 minutes tom wood did it in 10 minutes eight seconds which is ridiculous his split time if you've ever been on a concept two rower his split time over the 3250 meters was around about 130 yeah which is yeah, insane just, now, I am... just over 130 it, it's amazing <laughs> now, now i am very happy for tom wood to do that rowing challenge in fact he has my full backing but if northampton would have lost on saturday i would have been furious and frankly, as long as my fancy rugby team are, do, are zero and eight, I have no business doing uh, doing other fancy activities. So I will be uh, working <laughs> primarily on getting my first win, and then you might see me in the yeah. Negroni League. But you, until then, I don't deserve it. Your fancy rugby draft team is in a bad way. Oh my word, it's embarrassing. Um, right. So we've got we've got four gentlemen. I've got my little random number generator set up. Yeah. Um, so. If it comes out at number one, it's going to be Adam Coates. Yeah. If it comes out at number two, it's going to be Matt Grindrod. Christ, this is, this is tense. Number three is Gareth Jones, oh. and number four is Gareth Williams. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please, Tim. You're the... No, I can't. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. No drum roll. It is <laughs> number two, Matt Grindrod. Well Grindy. Done. Well done, Grindy, grinders. The big grinder. Yep. <laughs> Uh, now, talking about random things, um, this is very random. Uh, let's see if you can guess it. So, during our Scotland-England chat, I went on my favourite app. This is not a paid promotion. Right, speaking of grinder. <laughs> speaking <laughs> of grinder. <laughs> uh, Ultimate Rugby, because I, I, do lo- I do enjoy the app. Do you know that's, not... bod, that's bods? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like it. I think it's very useful. Yeah. So... I don't have the international team set up for whatever reason, so I was fiddling around and I found a search function and I typed in Scotland. What do you think would be the first most prominent results for teams called Scotland? 
six, the uh, Scotland men's Six Nations side against England. That is exactly what I would have thought. Would you like to guess what results um, Ultimate Rugby has given me to look at? And I'm going to look at every one of them, by the way. Is uh, it... Uh, <laughs> The is it, is it the Super Sixes as it's now called? Good question. I don't I, think I any think of these are in the Super Sixes. It'll be like uh, Melrose v Hoik. Yeah. Now, so I've just searched for teams. I put in Scotland, and the first first result is North Police Scotland RFC. <laughs> so I'd like to big big shout out to North Police Scotland RFC, Police Scotland dash Glasgow RFC. So big shout out to those boys. Royal Bank of Scotland RFC, and lastly, <laughs> all of the West of Scotland have one rugby football club. So uh, there you go. Wow. You follow them on Twitter. You can do anything, but no Scottish national team. Is them? I wonder if the Met Police is still what league they're in? Because I, re- I, I yeah. can remember, and it might have been the amateur days. No, no, it must have been league days. So I was playing for Newbury. I'm pretty sure we played. It might have been the second team, perhaps, but we played against Met Police. Who the hell? They are were Wales? good. So for Wales. It's North Wales Exiles, which I guess is English people in Wales. Yeah. Wales High School. Who the hell are they? Let's have a look. Wales High School. It's going to be like it'll be a t- it'll be a TV <laughs> at, show. At no account suspended on the, on Twitter. So Wales right. High School. Oof, avoid them. Okay. And well, so, and then Wales under eighteens. Okay. So, I so think come I, on, Ultimate Road. Come on, Bod. Get it sorted. I think so, they need some um, algorithmic changes there. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, have you got anything more else for your any other business thing? No, that was it. Sorry, that was well, it. I, I did like this little tweet that I saw, which said, um, "Oh, sorry." As much as it was great to watch the rugby, it was very evident that the lack of crowd really did lose a certain something. And mm. I, I was looking at. Um, I wonder if it's still on my YouTube, and I'll just play a little snippet of it, and you get a sense of it. I was what I don't know how I got into this, but I was watching. When Elliot Daly scored that try against Wales a few years ago in the last in the last couple of minutes, um, and England won, and it, it just the noise of it. Hold on a minute. I watched that in. Oh, Ber- here we go. In Berlin, it was Download awesome. Free audio. Oh, flipping it. Sorry, just that's the advert. Is, is this on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold Why on. do you pay for premium? Tim? Why? The just listen to this crowd when Daly scores. Some stage they're gonna. Just when you hear that crowd, yeah. you realise how, particularly that Wales Island game in Cardiff, the, the noise that would have been being made in those last few minutes yeah. would have been Although, off the scale. Do you think the noise would have been? It'd be almost like a groan that because the Elliot Daly Cuthbert chase. I mean, I'm just thinking about it now. You've you've raised my heartbeat a little bit there because you just. It was such a tight thing. It yeah. was such a tight thing. Wales were 16-14 up with two minutes to go. Whereas the Biddy Burns kick would have just been a huge deflation. Like, oh, thank God that's over. Yeah. Thank but, God that's over. But the noise as Wales were defending yeah. would have just been ridiculous. No, but the point I, I raised it is because there was, a, there was a tweet that I saw, which was quite funny, which um, was about how to recreate the Twickenham corporate experience at home. One, get drunk before 11am. Yes. Two, eat Hunter's chicken. Three, mm. three, bellow the national anthem. Four, tell the dog, it's on. Uh, five, watch the first half intermittently. Six, miss the entire second half. And seven, walk around outside very drunk for four hours. Yep. Uh, on being very drunk, and we've had three or four emails this week into uh, 
contacteggchasers at gmail.com which is now turned into basically a strong lemon zero support group. There's, there's no other way. There's no other way to, to describe the messages that we're getting in. Brilliant. Well, we'll we'll share those on a on a podcast very soon. Great. Next week's games. Next week's games. Then. Let me get it up. I love how we automatically just go next week's games. Come on, then, Phil. Yeah. Well, we all have our we all have our jobs now, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so Saturday the 13th, uh, we have England hosting Italy. One to get back on the horse. That's at 2.15. What do you do for this? Yeah, what do you do? Or, or what Eddie Jones will do, I think, is pick almost the entire same team. Yes, I, I do more, have, of the, more of the same. I do have some sympathy with that in as much as it would be quite... In, in players that had a very disappointing game, like Billy Vanapola, for example, it would be disappointing to just sort of withdraw them and not give them an opportunity to put it right. Uh, I do. I would like to see some changes, though. I, w- I want to see um, Max Malins at fullback. Mm. Mm. So the way, go on, Phil. Who would you lose, Tim, if Malins goes to fullback? I would probably. Uh, I would lose. Um, Will I lose Anthony Watson? Yeah, Anthony Watson just for this game. And I might, or, or no, maybe Daly just for this game. I'm just thinking. Hmm. Okay, I'd I'd lose Anthony Watson for this game because uh, I, I want to see forever. Maybe forever. Maybe forever. Maybe. As Brett Favre said, don't give anyone else your shirt ever. And I would, and personally, I would actually not because he had a bad game, but just because this is the perfect time to play I'd, I'd play George Ford so he's ready to go and I'd play the same two centres so they have the chance mm. to get the ball and I'd play Dan Ro- I'd start Dan Robson and have Harry Randall on the bench and I wouldn't change a lot in the forwards except Jack Willis in for Mark Wilson I have Ooh, that's harsh uh, no it's not because I think Mark Wilson was bad just I'm just saying this is the game to to try things and experiment you've got yeah. you've, this is the game if you wanted to try and develop your attacking play uh, then then that's why I'm saying Jack Willis adds a certain something, Dan Robson adds a certain something, um, George Ford adds a certain something, uh, Max Malins adds a certain something. So get those get those guys in just to try it because you can go back to whatever team you want to pick the next week anyway. Hmm. I have three thoughts. Uh, what Eddie would have done if he'd have won this weekend, what I think he will do, and then what I would do. Uh, all of which are completely different. So I think if he'd won this weekend, uh, every, everything would be uh, right, uh, right and rosy, and he'd have the excuse to play players who he needs to get capped, or he needs to see some of, or he can be a little bit more generous with his playing time. As it happens, I would suggest that one of his major weaknesses uh, the week just gone against Scotland was some of his team were undercooked, particularly the Saracens lads. You cannot not take this opportunity to get them more game time because it's so rare for them they've got to play. I, I, I just quickly, I'll add, there's two more. I would actually have Jamie George on the bench, start Luke, Luke Cowan Dickey, and I'd start Harry Williams at tight head. But sorry, go on. Yeah, and Harry Williams could then actually kick on for the rest for the rest of the tournament too. I can see that one. Um, so that's what I think he'll do. I, I think changing the team from his point of view would be going away from 
the core tenets of what he believes and how he wants to play the game and the strategies that he's put in and yada, 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 yada. He, in effect, has to play a very similar team, I believe. What I would do is I would get rid of Farrell, I would get rid of Watson, I would bring in um, Laws, I would probably get rid of Daly and... So, so Laws, Laws for Farrell was that? Laws for Farrell, uh, yeah. Uh, Farrell okay. at 10. So, uh, Laws at 10. Just to be very clear on this, this is, this is not what I was intending, but if that was my binary choice, Laws or Farrell, for any shirt, I would pick Laws, yes. Um, <laughs> So yes, look, uh, if it have, but that's not what I'm uh, thinking of. I'm thinking of we. I think Ford allows you to get the best out of the two centres, who I think are superb. And if you treat them right, I think <clears> you've <throat> got a centre partnership for a long, long time. Um, and then I think you know, I think Atoji. Oh, and and Billy must go too. So Atoji onto the flank, Tom Curry somewhere, and then uh, Willis somewhere. You can mix up those two. As you like, keep Hill, and then partnering with Laws. I I love I love that back five. I think that back five is absolutely lethal. If Billy shows himself to be well, the thing is he can't show himself to be fit, can he? He can't play his way back into form. It's kind of what I said. Like either you e- either you say either you say those Saracens players aren't playing until next year, or you play them this weekend. Yeah, I, it has to be individual. I think some. I mean, look, Maitland did fine, but. If you haven't done fine and you're going to get dropped, you're going to find it very hard to get in. And if you find it hard to get into the Six Nations team, you may as well kiss the Lions goodbye. That's that's how serious they, they find themselves in, uh, situation they find themselves in. It was a gamble for those players to stay at Saracens, and it could have paid off, and it might not. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think you're, again, I'd just say, referring to my earlier conversations on correlation and causation. Uh, Phil, what would you do? Um, so what I want to see is England have some attacking strategy that is not predicated on beating the opposition up. Yes. So, so first, first phase attacking ball where they can secure clean ball and they're not using big runners, uh, to, to hopefully get, uh, win the gain line battle and create quicker ball for space outside. I want, I want to see that, but I'd, I'd keep, most of the team the same because they're talented players. They just didn't play well in this game for one reason or another, some of which might be undercut, some of which might be the the conditions, some of which might be just they had a bad game, exactly as you said before, Tim. Good players have bad games from time to time. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, what must Marcus Smith think? Uh, they, there's a long list. What, what must Joe Simmons think? Yeah, it seems well, like... Those two are the Ford and Farrell of the future. It would say it would seem to me. Yeah, I don't think either of them would would begrudge being. Uh, I hope they would being behind. Well, no, I'm. I'm I, I hope they'd I, be fighting tooth and nail. I don't think either of them would be would begrudge being behind George Ford. I would. If I was that way inclined, if I was that competitive, I'd bloody. Oh, well, okay. It. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, like saying they'd like to be in the squad, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like saying what you're actually saying is. Um, but, one England, uh, an England fly half who is still relatively young, extremely proficient, like exceptional, and is proving that and has played rugby this season. So all of the reasons why you wouldn't pick Farrell is George Ford, who isn't even yeah. starting 10. It, it's sort of like saying, I think Dan Bigger would be happy being 
being second fiddle. To, no, to, no, I'm uh, not saying happy. To, to, I said to, big to Hook and Henson. I said big grudge. All he wanted to do is destroy their lives for the four years that he's with them. Just destroy their lives. I said, begr- I said big grudge. They, they, they would they would understand that they wouldn't say they are being. Um, uh, mistreated by George Ford being above them. Marcus Smith is a bionic Terminator that takes ev- everything as a slight. <laughs> you're, you're thinking of Danny Cipriani, <laughs> <laughs> For a friend of friend of the friend of the pod, Steve Parrott. Just uh, and, and along your line with with attacking players and not changing too much and stuff. It just just reminded me, friend of the pod, Steve Parrott, who um, is also the, ex- the voice of Exeter Chiefs on Twitter during their match days. Uh, he he said um, when he signed off last night. On Twitter, he just said, final rugby tweet tonight. He's an Exeter fan. He said, Henry Slade is one of the most naturally talented English players I have had the pleasure to watch. To see him wasted chasing kicks and hitting rucks is criminal. He might as well just come back to the Chiefs thoroughly pissed off. Ooh. Mm. Very un-Steve Parrott, mm. but absolutely yeah. bang on. Yeah, Those rucks frustrated. So I really hope we see an attack inside of England. Now... Um, scoreline predictions millions to nil <laughs> to Italy to Italy of course England by 20 it, it, it has to be it has to be England by at least 20 um, I, I, I think that, I think they will do the problem is I don't think it's going to be a great test for England because Italy are um, well by far the worst team in the tournament mm-hmm. so they then they're not going to learn. They they might get a big win, but they're not going to learn anything that's going to be useful for the next few games, and that that's a bit frustrating. Yeah, agreed. Um, next game, the big game on Saturday, quarter to five, is Scotland v Wales. It's Scotland. I don't think too long about that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. I think they will. I think they will back it up. I think it'll be really tight and low scoring game. I'll go for it'll be something like. This is what I'll be putting on my match pint predictor. Scotland, 18, Wales, 12. I'm going to go for Scotland, 35, Wales, 26. I can't see it being that high scoring. Just 45, because of the way 26, but, 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 because you said that. Do you want to keep going? <laughs> Scotland, Scotland by, I think Scotland by four points and under 30 points in total. Wow. No, that's ridiculous. Hear me now, believe me later. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then Valentine's Day. Yep. On su- uh, Sunday. I'll, I'll save that for the other pod, but I, there's one Valentine's Day-related rugby story that I do love getting out every year, which, uh, yeah, listen to the to the midweek domestic podcast for that. I'll remember to mention that one. Mm-hmm. And the game is Ireland in Dublin hosting France. This is it, isn't it? This is the Grand Slam one for France. It's not for Ireland, of course. Um, France win <laughs> yeah, this, no. and they kick on for the Grand Slam. I'm sure of it. If Ireland lose this, they kick on for the wooden spoon. Yeah. If Ireland lose this, the questions have to be asked. Um, I think Ireland will lose this. Um, I think France are, France are so dangerous. Ireland are a good team to, to try and shut them down because they've got... A very good pack that can match France in most aspects, and they've got a very well drilled, very organised defence. Mm. But give me France by eight points. I, I absolutely loved the package that Gabriel Clark put together on Fabian Galtier in the build up to France. Yeah, it's great. I really, really enjoyed that, and I, I didn't have an awareness of 
like that darker side of him. Yeah. Uh, and listening to uh, Benjamin K- Benjamin Benjamin Kaiser talking about like the um, kind of dark side of a genius. I, I really enjoyed that that little piece. Superb. It was excellent, and yeah, it got a real insight into Galtier, who um, seems to have. He seems to be a, a maverick, a real good thinker, but he has matured and grown as a man. You say dark side? What are we talking about here? Like drowning hamsters, or he? Well, he f- he fell out with his Stade Francais coach because basically he was uncoachable as a player. He was not uncoachable, but as I, a, as I know a, the feeling. As a player, he was almost <laughs> as a player he was almost uncoachable because he was so precociously good. He thought he knew best and mm. would and wouldn't listen. And in his early days as a coach, he wouldn't. He would do it all on his own because he knew best and only his way. Come, uh, so he's a very, very confident human being, extremely confident, bordering on arrogant in a, in a good way. Uh, but he appears to have mellowed, realised his limitations, and sought help to plug gaps. For example, Sean, Ed- Sean Edwards. Ah. Yeah, that that was really interesting hearing uh, Kayser talking about uh, Sean Edwards coming in. And the balance, and and how Gautier never would have done that five years ago or ten years ago, um, but he thinks it's a perfect fit for the, the for the two of them. And he's got a great pair of glasses. Yes, he does. Um, he's got a pair. He's got a big pair of glasses. <laughs> he's got a big pair of glasses. He's got a, he's got a signature pair of glasses. <laughs> yeah, they're distinctive. <laughs> they are very distinctive. He's he's a cool bloke. He wear, I he manages to pull off plimsolls with a suit. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not convinced, but he he almost pulls it off. No, I think he does pull it off. Yeah, I, I'll let him get away with I'm it. Not it's not the it. kind of look. No, it's not the kind of look where I'm like, oh yeah, I want to look like that because I know I could never pull it off. But whoa, mm. is it was it Greenwood this week? Who, no, Gareth Thomas. Is, Gar- Gareth Thomas. That's a disgrace. Yeah, he, Gareth Thomas's trousers were incredibly short. Do you know? I, they're like they're almost like three quarter length. <laughs> Three quarter length shorts. Yeah, we need, we, we'll discuss this further in the domestic in the midweek domestic podcast. Okay, but, you know, I'll make a note of that. I'm not necessarily over enthralled by the winter getup of the uh, Premiership, the Premiership comms teams. I, I think they need to be a bit a bit smarter. They all are dressed like they're on a um, you know a uh, a winter commute on the tube somewhere. That that that's basically how everyone's dressed now. Hats and all sorts of stuff. No, it's not good enough. <laughs> uh, right, I'm making a note of these little points. Oh, and Valentine's story. That's it. There we go. I remember those for tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow's podcast. For, for tomorrow's podcast. Um, so uh, there we go. Thank you very much for listening. A reminder: He's at JB Moore. I'm at Cocker on Twitter. We're at Rugby Podcast Egg Chasers. Uh, Patreon.com/slash/EggChasers. Uh, if you appreciate and uh, and would like to support, we we were really hoping. And again, we mentioned. The lack of crowds and stuff. We can't wait until we can do live shows and stuff again. Um, so your support, much appreciated. Match Pint app to come and take us on. And I'm going to insist that you download it and do your predictions <sighs> this week, JB. Yes, to. you do. What if I win? That's embarrassing for everyone, isn't it? Well, you can. I mean, I will. You keep... can send your Negroni to any fan you choose on that Match Pint app. Uh, I'm se- I've said it once. I'll say it again. I'm sending mine to. You're sending yours to. I've forgotten now. Roundtree. Oh, Graham Roundtree. Graham of Roundtree. course. Oh. I can't believe Graham Roundtree's not downloaded the app yet. If you want that Negroni, download the app, Graham. Get he, on there. He's, he's using an alias, Lee Need. Ah, there we go. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for listening. We, we will have another podcast coming. Hit subscribe and uh, let the boys play. Let the boys play. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.